I'm Ryan Milliken from Hardway Performance, and you're listening to The Diesel Podcast. I'm Demetri Miller with No Zone Diesel. This is Anthony Rings from XDP. This is Jaron Holder from Holder Down Performance. Corey Willis from TPI. I'm Drew with D&J Precision Machine. I'm Pinky. And you're listening to The Diesel Podcast. Diesel Podcast. You're listening to The Diesel Podcast. The Diesel Podcast. The one and only Diesel Podcast. What is going on, Diesel Nation? Thank you guys for joining the Diesel Podcast again. We've got a really awesome episode with a guest you've heard from before. Before we get into that, I want to thank BD Diesel for making this episode possible. They've got a ton of cool products and a bunch of promotions going on for summer. So if you're looking for injectors, turbos, transmission parts, whatever it might be, you need to check them out. Go to dieselperformance.com. Their website's really easy to navigate. You just select your year, make, model, and everything's organized into different categories. If you want turbos, whatever it might be, you can just go on there. Really easy to check it out. All right, today we're having Ryan Milliken, the owner of Hardway Performance on. He's been a regular on the podcast. He's going to update us on his Green Nova and some things about the engine and even transmission. So it's definitely a lot of good information in here, and some bombs are going to be dropped when it comes to what's working out there on the racing. How you doing, man? What's up, buddy? <laughs> You've been busy. I think the last time, uh, last time you were on, we talked about your Nova, which you're just getting actually ready to go race and that was about a year ago i think yeah that would have been probably uh last january or early february yeah yeah what's what's new with the car man people people love that thing i've heard from a lot of uh, diesel fans and people that you know are in the industry they see that car at a booth or at the track it's it's a work of art what's well, that you know it's the eye catcher for sure but um i think the fact that it's the first of its kind really is why it's so well loved um, you know, it's a, it's a radial tire leaf spring car, and when we put it together, everybody told us that, you know, that was stupid, it wouldn't work, there's no way a diesel's going to make as much power, you know, given the same set of rules as a gas car is, and, you know, and then be able to keep up and whatnot, well, I mean, not only have we proved them wrong, we've actually been able to go some rounds and qualify pretty well at a couple of these races we've gone to, so. That's awesome. Yeah, we've, we've got a lot of plans for it, and we plan to be a front runner in the class, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna run this car at least another year or two. You know, I've got a, of course I've got bigger dreams and ambitions of other stuff I want to build, but um, <laughs> I think this one will last me for a while. That's that's really cool. It it, it did. It, it started that trend. Well, I don't even know if it's a trend. I, I don't not sure many people have the the vision and the work ethic and commitment that you and your guys do to build something like that, but. It's been really cool to see, a, a, you know, a diesel-powered vehicle go out there and compete, not just show up, but actually compete. Yeah, and that's, you know, I wasn't interested in showing up and being the uh, first-round dunk. You know, I wanted to bring the horsepower I knew how to make, figure out how to put it to the ground to these little tires, and go, you know, race. And that the whole the whole deal behind building the car was that, um, you know, my Pro Street truck before really limited me to only being able to race other diesels. I mean, there wasn't really a class that existed in gas drag racing where I can take a 4,500-pound bottom five-second truck and go be competitive somewhere. It just didn't exist. So um, I looked, you know, I live down in the southeast, so small tire racing is a really big deal down there. Um, And after the Duck X races that lights out, no mercy yet, kind of decided that X275 was the place that I wanted to land. 
and uh, lots of hours studying the rules and just decided to go for it. So the cool part about having an X275 car is that set of rules is so tight that anywhere I want to go and race, usually my car fits in. Maybe not be in the front of the class, but I can race just about any small tire, you know, class, uh, radio prep, no prep, whatever out there that I want to because it's an X275 car. So it, it really does make it a universal race car. That's that's cool. It, 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 the doors it opens and the places you can take it and, and what you can do with it. it I can I definitely see, you know, how say before you can be limited, you know, to what you can race, where you can go versus now it's wherever you want to take it. Before it was, hey, let's race this six races per year against the same 20 people and just, you know, put that record on repeat for years on end. Or to hell with it, let's do something different. And that's yeah. where I went. Cool. Yeah, the other uh, the other day, um, playing around on Facebook and stuff, and had an Allison builder that was going to be on, and you had mentioned something very interesting in that thread. You know, people were asking questions of, you know, ask them, you know, how to build an Allison to do this or to do that. And you had made, you know, a comment about a Turbo 400. And we've had some other guests that are, they love racing, they do it, they have purpose-built vehicles. I wanted to get your opinion on running, you know, a 47 or 48 RE or you know, kind of going that route versus what you're seeing now, what these really high-powered trucks and cars are running to be able to have those fast times. Well, it really boils down to uh, horsepower versus weight and how fast you're trying to go. So, I mean, that, that particular thread started off as an Allison thread. You know, those, those transmissions are very durable. They're heavy-duty. They're huge, heavy, big parts. But, you know, I don't care what you say. They don't shift fast. It just doesn't work that way. They're not a racing transmission. Um, and then it boils down to, well, the torque flight does shift fast. That being said, take a look at the gas drag racing world. And people who use torque flights are not people that make 2,000 horsepower. So look at any major trans builder out there. Look at um, M&M, uh, look at FTI, look at uh, any of them, you know, that are, that are out there. And take a look at their torque flight offering. You'll realize that there's not really a torque flight offering that exists above, like, 750 horsepower rating where you can get a 3,000 horse turbo 400. And here is the reason. Um, well, a year ago, two years ago, nobody made a complete billet valve body for the torque flight. So that was the number one problem, is all these valve bodies were all based off of the stock cast piles of crap, right? Right. Assuming you've got a good valve body, and then you've got your line pressure set up and everything where you wanted it, you're still limited to a stock case. And where that becomes a limitation is you're only able to run so much line pressure. Now, line pressure is your clamping force. That's your that's your that's your your power that is able to be transmitted via the transmission by squeezing on that band or pushing on those clutches or you know, that's your holding power is your line pressure. So when you're when you're limited to only about two hundred pounds of line pressure in a torque flight, because the second gear band on the torque flight, if you put too much line pressure to that, it will kick the case out and you will break the case. Um, so when when the day comes that somebody makes a completely aftermarket torque flight case along with a completely aftermarket, not based on stock valve body whatsoever, valve body, that day is when the torque flight will be able to run with a Turbo 400. But until then, all that's been done 10 years ago with a Turbo 400, there's 
You have many options of SFI approved aftermarket cases that can run 300 pounds of line pressure. You have bolt together billet torque converters galore, you know, for turbo 400s. Um, it, it basically boils down to, you know, back in the day, the gas drag racing guys picked what they wanted to pick. First it was the power glide, now the turbo 400. And so if you want to go fast and make big power, you basically take a look at what everybody's going fast and making big power with in the gas drag racing world, snag it up and make it work for us. And that's, yeah. that's what I've done. That's really cool. It, it, do you think, well, I know, I know the racing scene does it. Like what you just talked about with going fast and competing outside of a small circle, right? So you're going into the gas world and doing that. But do you think events like the ultimate call-out challenge are starting to push on that? Like these trucks, like the qualifiers are over 2,000 horsepower now. And, oh, yeah. you know, do you think they're gonna, these guys are going to start hitting that same limit where it's like, okay, you're, the tranny just can't hold it anymore. We've got to look to see what you know, you're doing and some other guys are doing with their transmission setups and turbo 400s. Prime example, um, I was mainly on Derek Rose's team all weekend. Um, you know, he's had a, a very good amount of success using the transmission people he's working with um, and the parts he's using. That being said, it's still a torque flight. And he had the transmission out of his truck like, I think four times, maybe five times during the drag race day. Um, you know, and had it not been for our you know, lack of success on drag race day. If we could have gone as fast as we know the truck could go without all the trans issues, it might not have been a second-place finish for him. I mean, he kicked ass on the dyno. He did very, very good in the sled pull, and the transmission just kept him from going any further on uh, on race day. And if you took a look through the pits, transmission issues were galore, where you go to a gas drag race, and it's very not typical to take out a transmission at a race. I mean, if you do, you had to do something dumb. Or, you know, you had so many passes on it, you probably should have looked at it a long time ago. Where in, ga- in diesel drag racing, it's not uncommon for us to have the damn transmission out between every round. So, the heavier, you know, these heavy trucks, the four doors that are making 2,000 horsepower, like Ryan Fast, you know, I don't care who builds it, what you build it out of, what kind of magic sauce you've got behind it. If you're going to be limited to that, you know, how much line pressure a stock case can hold and the fact that we've all got, you know, valve bodies based off of stock junk crap. Right. Until these guys start adopting, you know, some of the technology that gas guys do, like, I mean, you can stick a transfer case on a Turbo 400. Turbo 400s come behind one-ton trucks, that, you know, back in the day, three-quarter-ton trucks, all that stuff. There's no reason that we couldn't stick a transfer case behind it and, you know, run it behind a truck like LeVon's or in Derek Rose's truck or whatever. I mean, we lose overdrive, but who cares? Right. You know, I mean, my little green car doesn't have overdrive. That's interesting. It, it, it seems like this point has, it's arrived so quickly. I, you know, I I think, you know, throughout drag racing and, and trucks going faster, yeah, having transmission issues has kind of always been a problem when you're beating on it, you know, or being competitive, but it seems like it hit the wall pretty quick and some things need to change if uh, the next step's taken you know, at events like, you know, UCC or some of the other ones where the trucks are just making tons of power. Derek Rose's truck, I mean, 2,300 horsepower, 3,479 foot-pounds of torque to the tire. I mean, based on a 14 to 16% correction factor, I mean, uh, uh, chassis, you know, chassis to uh, the engine dyno, let's see. Do you know the exact numbers? The 23, 
2359 or something along those lines. Something, yeah, it's something. Like, that's 2700 horsepower at the flywheel. And and you want to put that through a torque flight, which is rated by, at most, in the gas drag racing world to about 700 horse. I mean, think about it. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot. A lot, a lot. <laughs> I mean, I've even, I've even been thinking lately, and I don't even know if I should say this out loud or not, but why even have a transmission? Why not? Why not just a, a, a torque converter with a pump drive assembly and a drive shaft hooked to it? You know, <laughs> top fuel cars make 10,000 horsepower. They don't have transmissions. They have a clutch yeah. and a drive shaft. Why can't we have a torque converter and a drive shaft? I mean, we can do converter dumps. We can do lockup. We can do all this stuff. Why even deal with gears? Why even? Why even mess our, You know, mess around with it? Yeah, that's food for thought. <laughs> yeah, that may be what it takes when we start making three and four thousand horsepower. I mean, you don't see a turbo 400 behind a top fuel car because, I mean, yes, it's the best factory-based transmission that exists, but it won't take 10,000 horsepower. No. You know, a turbo 400 behind a top fuel car, to me, is the same as a torque flight behind Derek Rose's truck, and it's the same concept to me. It's just an ignorant amount of energy to try to put through something that came from the factory behind one of these trucks. It's like the, the debate, you know, when, when to go from a 68 RFE to the 48 RE that you know sometimes goes around or other transmissions is that's a that's an easy answer <laughs> it is it is but it's like you know you have a 2000 horsepower motor you're, you're not going to run it through a 68 rfe it's just it's not going to do it <laughs> so you go to something different and it's, it's it, you know that next level is now well your 48 re isn't going to do it either so you need to go something different <laughs> i had a 48 re last me all season long you when know, i raced super street i mean from the from the time i put it in the truck i got my licensing passes done I went and raced several races and all the way to the point where I wrecked the damn thing and put it in the wall in 2012. No, when was that? 2014. 1,500 horse and 2,000 horsepower are very different animals. Yeah. You will even see. I mean, Chabaca doesn't didn't even have a uh, didn't even have a, a torque flight. I think he used the B and J. I think he used the B and J drive unit, which is you know a really high power capable fancy drag racing transmission be interesting to see what happens yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely so what's new at hardway performance man hardway performance is just going nuts right now you know we uh recently changed gears a little bit on on what we're doing for business and and uh i expected a little longer lull in the gunfight per se but it didn't last very long um and then you know we acquired the racetrack as well so i joke right i work days a week because Typically on Friday I do um, mornings at Hardway and then afternoons and evenings at the track. So um, days off are few and far between right now, and uh, you know things are things are looking good on all aspects. So that's awesome. Kicking ass. I mean, basically, basically we're doing everything we can to answer the phone and keep up with customer requests, and our shop stays busy at all times, and just everything's everything's just going good. It's a it's a great time to be in business. That's awesome. We we, uh, we chatted with Corey Willis not long ago, and he was talking to us about like about one of the challenges is just to stay on top of like calls and emails and so things like that. Yeah, and it, it's what what the what your average consumer fails to realize is that we are not like Walmart. We're not a big super center that has just people lined up ready to take a phone call. I mean, we're we're a small family business that. At any point in time, I have anywhere between two to five, depending on the day and what's going on, people that are available to talk on the phone. And when the phone rings so much that, you know, you can't 
even wrap up the conversation you're on before you have four more voicemails to return. And then you get those people that call and call and call and call, never leave voicemails, and they're really upset that nobody answers and nobody will call them back. Well, we have specific instructions. If, if nobody answers, please leave a message, and it will be returned in the orders that it's received. Um, so, and that people just don't understand that. I mean, if, <laughs> if, if, I had, if I had enough people on board to be able to answer the phone every time it rings, I wouldn't be able to afford my mortgage because my payroll would be through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is something that I've, I've joked about, and I'm not too far away from implementing it. Technical support, 1-900 number. <laughs> we spend so much time doing tech support for, you know, products that maybe we didn't even sell or that didn't even come from us. Just, you know, people assume that we've probably been there and done that, and we might have the answer to this. So 45 minutes goes by, and we're helping random guy out for random products just because we try to help people out if we can. And before we realize that we've got 10 calls that we've got to respond to now. And, you know, that, I mean, if we're going to do that, it should at least pay our bills somehow. But yeah. Or maybe that would, that would at least make people be deterred a little bit and maybe try to figure something out themselves as opposed to their first action picking up the phone and calling Hardware. <laughs> it's the thing too is like the power of email or a message it, it can because the phones do get busy All, a lot of the places we talk to on the podcast it's the same thing and i always found it's easier to multitask so sometimes i can answer you know four emails or send a link to something or do whatever a lot quicker than balancing the phone and the voicemail and all the different things that go into it. Here's here's what I learned a long time ago. I don't talk on the phone. I mean, if you're going to get me on the phone, it's going to be something I know about in advance. We, you know, just about have a date set up, just like you and I right now. Yeah. You didn't you didn't just call me out of the blue and say, Ryan, let's do a half-hour podcast, because I would have just laughed at you and said, maybe next week, you know. <laughs> just like you're saying, I mean, I can, I can reply to text messages from my desktop, um, you know, email from my phone, um, while I'm having a conversation with someone sitting in my office all at the same time. But when you make me get on the phone, you take away all my ability to multitask, and I'm now focused on listening to you breathe. But it's not productive, and that comes down to a generation gap because your younger guys and gals out there are totally okay with email, Facebook Messenger, whatever. It's, it's, our, uh, it's our, our generation that precedes us that wants to talk on the phone about everything. Yeah. Those are the people that are the most painful, you know? I mean... It is what it is. You know, I, I want to have everybody's business, but at the same time, if I can do five things at once versus one thing only for the same half hour amount of time, I'm going to avoid the phone like the plague. Yeah. Well, there's only so many hours in a day, whether it's, you know, a product someone's purchasing from you or a vehicle you're working on or what you're doing. And it's funny you mentioned the, the generations because, you know, we're kind of like right in between. You know, I do remember a time when there wasn't the internet, <laughs> but <laughs> we're like but, we're like that stepping stone. Yeah, yeah, and it's like the, the younger generation now—they're on their phones. They can message, do this, all these things where they're not even talking. You don't even need to talk to anyone, but you can do five things at once. Verse, like my parents, like trying to get them to send an email is like an act of Congress. You know, they want to talk to somebody. <laughs> well, you know? um, all we could sit around and. and uh, complain about that all day i'm sure that people don't want to listen to that though <laughs> what uh so it's supposed to be about the, about our car what um what are some questions that you, you might have about it or some things i could cover 
a lot of people want to know about the motor. Not, you know, all the insides and maybe all the details, but what, you know, what's, what's done with the motor and the turbo setup to be able to, you know, run the season, be able to make it, make it last, perform how you want? That's a good question. Um, so the motor's a, um, it's a 6.8 liter LSM block, Wagler head, um, standard, you know, nothing crazy Cummins. I mean, yes, it's got a billet block, but the block is the factory dimensions. There's no deck plate. There's no, um, it does have sleeves, obviously, <clears throat> because it's an aluminum motor, you have to have sleeves. Um, so, but the uh, standard size valves, you know, standard normal V-tubes, nothing, no, nothing crazy outside of factory dimensions. The stock bore space, the stock crankshaft, um, uses steel off-the-shelf connectors. One of my biggest tricks for making the motor last for as long as I do, especially with being as abusive to it as I am, is the fact that I use the narrow bowl piston. Uh, I do not mess around with a wide bowl. Uh, it is a huge, I don't want to say an argument, but um, a large disagreement between you know, guys in the, in the diesel world whether or not to use wide bowl or narrow bowl. And it's been proven that the wide bowl, given a limited inducer environment, you know, like sled pulling, will make more power per the same fuel quantity, all things considered, than the narrow bowl will by about 100 horsepower. But that being said, I'm not in a limited, I, I am in a limited inducer world. I mean, I'm limited to a single 88 millimeter turbo, which is that's what I run. Um, but I can use as much nitrous as I want. Nitrous is an oxidizer. It's like turbo in a bottle, per se. Um, so when you have unlimited airflow and or limited airflow and unlimited nitrous like I have, the bowl design, in my opinion, goes out the window, and its only job is to live at that point um, because you're stuffing as much fuel and air down its throat as it, as it can take. And like I said, its only job is to live. If you take a look at a wide bowl, if you take a look at a narrow bowl, piston can be more efficient. However, there is less meat, less material from the inside of that bowl, combustion chamber, where all the heat and magic is happening, to the outside um, of the piston or the where your ring land is at. So you have less area to travel for the bad stuff to get to your ring land, right? And that's when, once that gap is bridged is when you have a meltdown on the motor. That's when the rings go away. That's when you lose compression. That's when you score cylinder walls, all that good stuff. So in my little narrow bowl, that, quote, makes less power than the wide bowl, even though we've shown almost 2,500 horsepower trap speed and then drove it back to the staging lands or back to the pits. Um, you know, my pistons have now come out of my motor three separate times for inspection. Um, they've been in an iron block. They've been in an aluminum block. And they came out once for uh, in the wintertime just to get a fresh set of rings on it. Um, no trips back to Diamond, no nothing, just brick cleaner, take a look at them, you know, a couple quick measurements, and back in they go with fresh rings. Nice. That's a lot more than can be said than for a lot of these other guys. I mean, the, the 60 or 80 horsepower that I leave on the table by going to a narrow bowl is not worth putting pistons in it every damn race to me. No. Um, but other than that, it's a, I've got a, a roller camshaft from Hamilton. Um, a, uh, I've got roller uh, valve train from Manton. Um, so that helped me be able to swing all the RPM that I swing, um, specifically in the burnout box. I kept breaking rockers. I guess uh, 5,800 RPM unloaded burnouts. Um, <laughs> Cummins don't like those, I guess. So after a couple sets of broke rockers, I decided to do something different, dropped a set of mantons in there, 
you know, with their uh, with their roller, uh, the roller bridges and all that fun stuff, and haven't had an issue since. Um, we use all uh, all S and S fuel system throughout Bosch controller. I mean, there's not any there's not any magic to be had in the Bosch controller with the with the exception that it simplifies the car for me. I don't have to have a separate computer for everything and separate data logger. It's just all one system that does everything. So it makes it easy. You know, if it weren't for if it weren't for me having to have the the Bosch controller just because I like it, or me having to um, uh, have you know have the aluminum the aluminum uh, cylinder head and block for weight savings, my power combo could be replicated pretty easily because it's a very simple recipe. Simple's better, right? Absolutely. Sometimes <laughs> it's the normal shit that, that it takes to just go faster than everybody else. You know, you go you go way above and beyond and complicated. It doesn't work worth the ass. No, no, it doesn't. Man, that that whole the, the piston design could be a whole podcast in itself, you know. But <clears throat> I know you're a busy guy. You're traveling. That'd be a good podcast to get uh, myself and Chase Lee on at the same time. We we uh, pretty pretty good amount of hours wasted between him and I arguing about that. <laughs> we'll have to look into that one. At at one point in time, <laughs> before I made some changes in the motor and really started leaning on it harder. I had contemplated switching to the wide bowls, and then uh, you know I said let's just let's just push this narrow bowl a little further. So I stuck a bigger set of injectors on it and a fourth nitrous kit, and lo and behold, 2470 horse trap speed. I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm just gonna stick where I'm at. I'm good. <laughs> right on, man. I appreciate your time today. I know you're, like you said, busy traveling, making things happen and stuff. But uh, it's always great to have you on. Hear about what you're doing racing and and what you're doing with hardway performance and i've got about 22 hours of driving ahead of me so if you want to do a few more podcasts just call me (laughs) right on man well i appreciate your time this afternoon all right buddy thanks for the uh thanks for the time as well don't forget diesel fans make sure and check out bd diesel and all the promotions they have going on right now for tons of different products just go to dieselperformance.com select your year make model a truck and get some cool parts on your vehicle for the summer Until next time, Diesel fans, keep the shiny side up.